I want you to imagine this morning that all of us who are gathered here today have just finished a long, exhausting hike. We have been walking for hours. We have been crawling. We have been falling. We are bruised and bleeding. We barely made it to the top, and we come here to this grand lookout point. And I stand before you simply as a guide walking next to you, calling your attention to this grand lookout point to show you something amazing. That is all that I'm hearing, that is all that I'm here for today, to just speak to you and point and say, look, look at the beauty we have here. And so I'm not here for some good advice or, or personal stories or lighthearted comedy in a short sermonette. I, I'm just here with you, tired, exhausted from this season and this week, gathered at this lookout point, and all I'm doing is saying, look, my first sermon here, I just want to preach Christ. I know nothing except you, except Jesus Christ, and him crucified. To proclaim the greatness of the incomparable Jesus, the breathtaking supremacy of Jesus. I want to point your attention to the book of Hebrews, where we see the supremacy of Christ more than any other New Testament book. Over a dozen times in this book, we see the word better. About the same number of times we see the word perfect. Here, we see Jesus high and lifted up. In these short three verses for this morning, we have depth, we have beauty, we have magnificent truth that will compel us to come back to this passage over and over to repent again and again, to rejoice once more today and in the coming days. Here in this short paragraph, we have deep and heavy doctrine, but it is breathtakingly beautiful. Friends, do not be afraid that I use the word doctrine. Don't consider this to be purely academic or irrelevant or even maybe boring. One commentator said that the for the author, holding up Christ is the most practical thing on earth. And so what I'm going to do here is the most practical thing by pointing you to doctrine. We must turn our attention to the doctrine of Jesus. Because we cannot simply assume that we know these truths already. If we assume what will happen to our faith and the faith of the generation that follows if we leave the doctrine of Christ vague, how easily might we slip into false teaching? What assurance will we have of how genuine our salvation is? How will we survive life that is falling apart if we belittle the doctrines of Christ in this passage? How easily might we succumb to shallow and unfitting worship? Just yesterday I was thinking about this that we gather here Sundays and we each come with a why question heavy on our hearts, right? If I sat here and talked to each of you one by one, I'm sure you have several why questions. Why is this happening? Why, why is God doing this? Why isn't this why, why? And we long for answers to that. And I think it is appropriate, it is healthy to ask our why questions but let us not assume quickly that God is obligated to answer clearly from his wisdom. 
Because even if we understood the why, we would not really grasp it in our finite minds, nor do I think will it be helpful. With the why question that is overwhelming you right now, imagine God explained it. Here are the 50 reasons why this is happening in your life. Do you really think that would comfort you today? That would just give you magical peace? I think we start with the why, but I think that should move us to the who. Who God is. Because more than explanations, we need to rely on promises. So rather than looking for the why of why this is happening, let us go back to the doctrine of God. Because it is who God is, his nature, his promises, his work, his attributes, that will actually be what helps us today. So we are here today after a long and exhausting climb. Some of you barely finished this week barely made it to another Sunday. Some of you here are bruised and hurting from this week, from this season, and I want to point your attention to Hebrews 1. I'm standing here at this lookout point of Hebrews 1 saying, look at Jesus, look at the supremacy of Jesus, and this is what I want you to get today. Jesus, who is supreme, is also sufficient in meeting all your needs. Let us be in awe of his preeminence and let us trust in his provision. Jesus, who is first overall, is for us by grace. From just these few verses, we see that Jesus is above all and yet he is very close to us. He is our all in all and he is able to meet all of our needs. And this is really good news for us. This is really helpful for us. Let us keep this at the forefront of our lives and at our side wherever we walk. So Hebrews 1, 1, 2, 3. If you, have, if you don't have a Bible, the Pew Bible in front of you, it's page 1001. Page 1001 in the Pew Bible, or if you have your Bible, open up. I'll be reading from the ESV. Please open in follow along, to examine, to make sure that what I'm saying is in line with Scripture. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He wastes no time. He goes from zero to 200 miles an hour instantly. He immediately gets to his point that Jesus is the word. God speaks most fully and finally in the person of Jesus Christ. So that through Jesus, we can personally, powerfully, genuinely know God. Our God speaks. He does not stay quiet. He does not hide. He reveals himself throughout the Old Testament at many times and in many ways. He spoke to Moses with thunder and lightning. He spoke to Elijah through a still, small voice. He spoke to Ezekiel through visions, Daniel through dreams, Abraham personally, Jacob through an angel. And God spoke through Moses, as it says in Hebrews 3, but a greater prophet than Moses was coming. We read this promise in Deuteronomy 18, 15. 
The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is him you shall listen. This was promised in Deuteronomy. It is fulfilled in Acts 3 and 7, where we see Jesus is the one that was promised through Moses. This is a strong current moving from the Old to the New Testament. Not that it's less true to more true or less worthy to more worthy or less mature, to more mature. It's moving from promise to fulfillment. And so what God promised to Moses in Deuteronomy 18 is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is truly the prophet, the revelation of God and from God. He is the preeminent and none can compare with him. God is not hidden He is not lost in mystery. We have a God who has made himself known. God has taken the initiative because on our own, we would not have been able to know God. We would not want to know God. We could not know God if he had not taken the first step to make himself known. And so, beloved, we walk in the futility of our minds, darkened in our understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is due in us due to the hardening of our hearts. That is what we were. That is what everyone is, born a sinner. We are lost, we are ignorant, we are darkened in our minds. But God, if you are confused about spiritual matters, if you are overcome by questions and doubts, if, if you are very vague about what it means to know God, if you are just not really, you've been here, but you're just not really sure what it means to know God, Jesus is the one we turn to. He provides us truths about God. It is through him that we can know God. And so we turn to the Gospels, we turn to the Scriptures, so that through him we can, in fact, have a relationship with God. John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God's Word had life and power in Genesis 1. He spoke, and things happened. And Jesus is the Word, and that through him there is life and power of God. And so when Jesus comes, things happen. And when Jesus speaks, he does so with utmost authority and demands complete obedience. The original readers needed to hear this. There was a lot of immaturity brewing at the time. The writer is frustrated, especially at the end of chapter 5. He's teaching on the priesthood of Jesus. He stops because they're not ready. In the Hebrews 5.11, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Their spiritual ears were dull. They were not listening. He warns them. Anytime there is a warning passage in Hebrews, it's also tied to this. There's faulty hearing. There's a spiritual problem. They're not listening correctly. In chapter 2, 1 to 4, we must pay closer attention. In chapter 10, 26, he warns them against sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth. In 1226, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. He warns them over and over and says, you have to be careful. You have to listen carefully. Because if we don't, we are rebelling against God. We are dishonoring God who has sent Christ to speak to us with all authority. 
He speaks clearly, undeniably, powerfully through Jesus. And the question is, how will you respond? If, if he is speaking in his word with such authority, how can we take this lightly? How can we ignore this? And God, from whom and through whom and to whom are all things, has appointed this Jesus to be the heir of all things. How beautiful is this lookout point so far at the end of this exhausting hike? He is the heir. He is the word. He is the heir. The one bringing the word of God to us is the one who will one day own all things and rule with all authority. Our perspective on all things in life ought to be centered on him, revolving around him who is the heir. All ownership was in the hands of God, and since God has appointed all things to Jesus, there's not a millisecond lost in that appointing. That means that all things are held together under the divine decree and the purposes of God. But what do we do when it feels like life has fallen apart? When prayers seem to be unanswered? When our laments for mercy seem to be ignored? When the waiting season takes longer than hoped? When depression, infertility, rejection personally, persistently brings our hearts down? What about those days when we receive alarming news and we just don't know how to handle these things? Jesus, as the heir, owns and controls all things. All that we see and don't see. All troubles, all of life's events. All the past, all the future. There's nothing outside of his reign and control. Suffering and sickness is not because the enemy has crept into the kingdom to cause damage. Such symptoms you're experiencing have an expiration date. Because one day Jesus will come and will make all things new. And so even the worst days as a follower of Christ are still very much under the majestic rule and wise reign of Jesus. And this Jesus speaks now who speaks now, will one day rule over all things. And this Jesus who will rule is faithful to keep his promises. He is faithful to be good to his children. And yet there is more. We read in Romans 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Spirit gives you the assurance that you desperately need. And he says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. So Christ is the heir, and one day we will be co-heirs. We will be there with him in the kingdom. If you are in Christ, do you really think that one day you will be forsaken? Do you really think that one day he's just going to give up on you? Do you not see that in Christ, we who share in his sufferings will also and much more share in his glory? Do you you see how precious the children are before the Father? His kingdom will never end. So our time with him will never end. Friend, if you're in Christ, this is how your story ends. And so with whatever you are facing now, look at it from this perspective. Yes, we are going to be very honest about our pain, but we must again grieve as those who have this hope that his rule will never 
end. He is the word. He is the heir. He jumps to the future and says he's the heir because that is more important right now. That is more precious. But then he goes back to the beginning and says he is the creator of all things. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. John 1, 3 to 4. He says all things. By him, all things were created. Heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Colossians 1.16. It's all through him. It's all for him. All that you see around you. And all that you don't see, through him and for him. Let me, to show you the greatness of this creator, let me for a moment compare him to nothing. Isaiah 40, 18. I I can't compare him to anything. To, To whom then... Will you liken God or what likeness compares with him? What can, if we say that God is like, what can we possibly say? Because he is like no other. He is infinitely transcendent, holy other, above all. And yet this Lord is with us and for us. This God who created you and I in his image with incredible care and wholehearted passion. This is the same God who created our galaxy which is 100,000 light years across. In other words, 600 trillion miles across. You thought it's a long drive to drive from Pasadena. This galaxy, it's 100,000 million, no, it's, it's 100 trillion miles across. That's one galaxy. And there are, in fact, over 100,000 million other galaxies. Okay, let that sink in. He has brought out all the host and has named them one by one who holds together by the strength of his power so that not one is missing of the hundred thousand million this is the same god who has formed our inward parts and has knitted us together in our mother's womb we are fearfully and wonderfully made our frame was not hidden from him when we were made in secret he has intricately woven us together he has written all our days in his book before day one beloved Fear not, and do not let your hearts be troubled. The creator is your creator. He can be the word and the air and the creator because this Jesus is God himself. There's there's nothing higher and bigger and better. We're at the lookout point and our necks are hurting because we're, we're looking upwards and we're numb with joy we're in awe as we see how vast the beauties are he he just keeps piling on more and more beauty and now he says look he is god he's the radiance of the glory of god till now it was the father who was the primary character Father was speaking, Father was appointing, Father was creating through Jesus. But now we turn to Jesus, who is God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. There's none higher than him. In the fourth century Nicene Creed, we read, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. Jesus is in himself 100% fully God, displaying the glorious perfections of God. He's shining and showing forth the beauty and the goodness of God. Like the rays of the sun to the sun itself, we are seeing the sun in all his glory because of the rays 
which is Jesus Christ upon us. And with that light, he is shining upon us, pulling us out of a place of darkness. And as his light shines, we are saved, 2 Corinthians 4 says. And so here we are, enjoying the light of Jesus Christ, both in salvation, but also throughout our lives. He is shining his light upon us to save us, to pull us out of darkness. And this Jesus who is co-eternal and co-existent with the Father, is also distinct from the Father. He is the exact imprint of the Father's nature. He is the expressed representation of the Father, just like a wax imprint on the paper to the original seal. So when you, when you see that seal, you, you think of that, the, the, the cylinder where the seal is. You see the imprint, you remember this. When we see the Jesus, we remember, we, we see God the Father. He also said, if you see me, you have seen the Father. If you hear me, you have heard the Father. So if we want to know the Father, we must go to the Son. We must turn to the Scriptures where we see the clearest picture of the Father. And so, friends, let us be nauseated by and completely avoid any flimsy or shallow or cheap teachings of Christ. This world mocks him and finds him irrelevant. But let us instead give him the honor that he is worthy. Let us behold and let us listen. Let us consider. Let us meditate. Let us rejoice. Let us obey. Let us guard ourselves from being continuously distracted. Let us guard ourselves from pursuing endless entertainment. Let us instead spend more time in the word to understand this Christ. Because if we are going to love him with our hearts, we must first love him with our minds. We cannot expect to have PhD level love with our hearts if we have elementary and kindergarten love with our minds. We must know the truth and the truth will lead us to worship. Jesus is the final word, the anointed heir, the mighty creator, the radiance of God, the exact imprint imprint of God. But there is more. He upholds the universe by the power of his word. How high and lifted up is Jesus that we have gathered here to worship. In Genesis we read, let there be and there was. With limitless power and unfathomable wisdom, he speaks and created all things with the same word. He is at work upholding and speaking and sustaining and taking care of us. He who spoke now sustains. He calls the sun to rise each morning. He feeds the birds. He dresses the lilies of the field. He faithfully takes care of the third and fourth generation of the righteous ones who fear his name. He upholds the changes of the seasons. He keeps the waters of the rivers and the oceans in place. He keeps our heart beating. And if this is the Jesus who upholds all things, let us not be worried about our children. The children who are sitting with you children that are downstairs in nursery, the children who you have or are trying to adopt, the children maybe that you don't yet have, and you lie awake at night wondering about their health, wondering about their salvation, about their future, you who are overwhelmed at how small and fragile they are, remember Jesus. He created, and he alone can be their savior. Parents are horrible heroes. 
We cannot save. We cannot fix. We cannot, we cannot meet all of their needs. We cannot. Spouses cannot fix and save. Pastors, leaders cannot fix horrible heroes. We only have one hero, and that is Jesus Christ. Our hope is in him alone. And so in going back to our children, we have to remember that he who is the heir of all things is in control. And he is going to take care of these children. He alone can be the hero. We cannot. And so let us go prayerfully, but without worry. You who are worried about your spiritual life and those around you, remember that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. And one day we will be restored into the image of the Son. He has faithfully taken care of the church since Pentecost and will do so until the day when the church is presented blameless at the marriage of the Lamb, dressed in fine linen, bright and pure. You who look around you and see your missional community, and this church, and the leaders, and you're wondering, where is this going? You wonder if we'll make it. You wonder if the weaknesses will increase and everything will come crashing down. This Jesus sustains all things by his powerful word. He started, he will finish. If he graciously raises us from death to life, do you not think that he is enough for us, for church today? If he poured out his spirit, formed the church, if Jesus is the head of this church filled with struggles, faults, wounds, can we not trust that he who is God will keep us from stumbling and present us before his presence blameless and with great joy? Behold, the lookout point. We are seeing Jesus, who is preeminent over all things. He is the sufficient provider of all things. And in this passage, we have seen so far who Jesus is, but now we see what he has done. If you look with me to the last verse, it says, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In the Old Testament, we see three separate offices of prophet, priest, and king. Throughout the Old Testament, you had different people as prophet, priest, and king. But Jesus is the one who fulfills all three offices in himself. He is the prophet bringing the word to us. He is the priest bringing the salvation to us. He is the king bringing the rule to us. And so he comes to us and dies for us and rules over us. He saves us, and he is completely sufficient. I love the phrase here. He says, after making purification for sins. That's it. The cross summarized in one phrase, short and sweet. And yet the author devotes most of Hebrews 5 through 10 to unpack the priesthood of Jesus. What exactly did Jesus accomplish? We read he's made purification. What does that mean? As you scan through the book, here are a few. In 2.9, he tasted death for us. In 5.9, he founded an eternal salvation. In 2.14.15, he freed us from the bondage of the fear of death. He offered propitiation for our sins, 2.17. He brought rest in 3.1. Grace and help in time of need in the end of chapter 4. 725, he is the priest eternal to save to the uttermost. He fulfilled the prophecy of Jeremiah, we read in Hebrews 8, so that God is our God, his law on our hearts, and we can know him personally. 
In 912, he secured our eternal redemption. In 914, he purifies our conscience to serve a living God. He promises an eternal inheritance. 928, he saves those who eagerly wait for him. In 1014, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And in 12:2, he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So when he says after making purification for sins, that's in a nutshell what he is doing in your life. If Christ is for you, Christ is for you. In whom we are blessed with every spiritual blessing of the heavenly places. We receive through Christ and we dwell in Christ and we live with Christ so that we live for Christ with the assurance that all we have is from Christ. All things because he has made purification for us. And if he has made purification for sins, will he not also provide for your needs today? Beloved, don't be afraid. Author F.F. Bruce said the following, The wisdom which created the worlds and maintains them in their due order may well beget in us a sense of wondering awe. So he says, when we see creation, we're in awe. He continues, But the grace which has provided a remedy for the defilement of sin by a life freely offered to God on our behalf calls forth a sense of personal indebtedness, which the contemplation of divine activity on the cosmic sale could not evoke. So when we read, after making purification for sins, more than being in awe, we rejoice. We want to give our life to him. We want to surrender to him. We want to gladly spend and be spent for the kingdom. You who look at your spiritual life, spiritual health, and cannot see a steady growth in holiness. You who feel that maybe you're just falling backwards. You who are haunted by your past, though you have trusted in Christ to save you. You who assume that at some point Jesus might just give up on you. No, my friend, he who saved you from the guilt of sin will surely save you from the presence of it. He who imputed your sins on himself also imputed his righteousness upon you entirely and you live your life differently. He who predestined you and called you and justified you surely, surely, surely in his book has already glorified you. The slain lamb now sits victoriously interceding for you at the Father's right hand until the final day. I do not think your salvation will crumble halfway. And the work of purification, it is done once and for all. Having made this purification, it says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus, who is the final and perfect prophet, Jesus, who is the great one and only priest, is also the king of kings, who is enthroned forever. It says in chapter 1 that for a little while he was lowered himself but is now crowned with glory, honor, and rules with authority. Nothing is beyond the reach of his reign. Nothing happens outside the scope of his sovereignty. Nothing and no one can dethrone him or defeat him. Because the crucified Christ made purification for us, he offered a single sacrifice once for all and was then raised to the Father's right hand. 
and now rules for endless days. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. While the council was questioning Jesus about his identity during the unjust trial before his murder, the bound, chained, and beaten Jesus testified that he is in fact the majestic son of man who is given a kingdom that will never pass away. And so he went to the cross with complete assurance of what is to come. And where is this headed? Jesus, who sits and rules at the Father's right hand with all authority and power subject to him, he will rule until all his enemies are brought to a footstool under his feet. And what is he doing there at the Father's right hand? He continually performs the other function of high priest. He offered atonement, and now he offers intercession. Beloved, he is interceding for you. He is bringing your needs before the Father. He is making authoritative requests on your behalf. Not only is Jesus the royal intercessor, but he is also the heir of all things. So when he intercedes, he has everything at his disposal. Do not be afraid. Beloved, in Ephesians 2, it says that in Christ, you are already seated in the heavenly places. You are already welcomed and loved and accepted. At the highest court of heaven, you are no longer guilty. And there is nothing else that can be said. Because Jesus who died, more than that was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is indeed interceding for us. In the earthly tabernacle, there was no chair. Because the priest would not sit. The priest would work. There is a chair in heaven. Because Jesus sits. No more work needs to be done. Jesus is not adding to the work of atonement. Jesus is not pacing the halls of heaven, wondering if it's going to be enough. It says he is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Sitting because it's done. He cried, it is finished. Surely it is finished. He is sitting with victory and power. Let us praise him because he sits. And nothing more needs to be added to that work of redemption. The resurrection power of God is at work in you who are in Christ. Paul prays for the believers that their hearts would be opened. That they would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And above every name that is named. Not only in this age but also in the one to come. It is his resurrection power at work in you, believer, in this church. With that power, he is working and transforming and sanctifying and sustaining so that we will become more like Jesus day by day. Jesus is God. He is the word, heir, creator, sustainer, priest, king, and he intercedes for the church. But simply accepting these truths is not going to be enough. Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones said, I spend half my time telling Christians to study doctrine and the other half telling them that doctrine is not enough. And, and so if, if you fill your mind with the truths, bullet points of these three verses, that will not be enough. 
Because these are not truths to some simply know and, and download, but to believe, to rejoice in, to live with, on our side, always. These doctrines are not the landing pad of the plane. We don't, we don't land here and just hear doctrine and that's it. This is the launch pad. And so we start with doctrine, but we don't end there. That launches us to know him and to love him and to worship him. Because Jesus, who is preeminent, is the provider of all needs, let us heartily trust in him, who is highly exalted and yet the helper for all our days and moments. Beloved, behold this Jesus. We barely made it up to the mountaintop for this lookout point. But behold Jesus, who is first over all, and he is enough for you. And so as you climb down the mountain and you face another week, take this with you. He will hold you fast. He is supreme. He is sufficient.